into and lead us right into what we're covering this evening in the book of Ruth. And so I'm excited about starting the book of Ruth. Um, it's a story of redemption, and uh, it's beautiful. There's, there's different things that are highlighted throughout the four chapters that we have before us. Um, so we're going to get into the study of the book of Ruth here in a few moments. I just want to give you a quick reminder as far as the uh, various doctrines that are being taught on Sunday nights. We will not have it this Sunday night. Um, it, it will resume next Sunday at 6.30 p.m. Um, so uh, we're going to continue on with uh, our study of uh, the doctrine of angels, and that is called angelology, and that is with uh, Robert Odell. And so uh, just mark your calendars, be here for that. Uh, Tim McManus, uh, he uh, just broke down our study on Sunday just beautifully, and I'm looking forward to what we have um, with Robert uh, next Sunday. So not this Sunday because it's Labor Day weekend. Uh, we're going to take uh, this Sunday Sunday night off, but next Sunday night we will resume uh, September 8th at 6.30. So please turn your Bibles with me, if you're not there already, to the book of Ruth. Uh, I'll give a, um, a brief introduction, uh, and then we'll get into um, the first chapter. So let's start off with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for you are, uh, Lord, you are a redeemer. You, uh, Lord, the plan of salvation was from the beginning. And uh, so we're truly thankful that as the Old Testament prophesies, the New Testament fulfills. And we see here that even uh, someone who is, is not part of the Israelites, the Jewish people. Lord, has been grafted in even to become part of the genealogy of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, it's, um, it's wonderful to see how it is that even in the midst of chaos, Lord, you're working out your plan. I, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us of that even this evening as we're going through our study. That even though the world seems to be falling apart around us, even though... We may be experiencing difficult times that you're still working out your plan. And for us, we ought to just simply trust in you, cling to you, and if we've strayed from you, to return to you. And so, Lord, thank you for your love. It is not exhausted. Thank you, Lord, that as we do turn to you, that you are always there with open arms, ready to embrace us. And to bring us near. For your word tells us that if we draw near to you, you will draw near to us. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. For your love, your grace, your mercy, and your patience with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, Ruth. It's a, it's a book that is named after the Moabitess Ruth. She's mentioned 12 times in this book. And no other times, no other times is she mentioned throughout the whole Old Testament, not one, but she is mentioned one more time in Matthew chapter 1 verse 5, as she is mentioned and noted in the genealogy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the, the, the names that we're going to go over from the, the children of uh, Abimelech and, and Naomi, Naomi herself, um, their sons, so on and so forth, uh, they all have uh, meanings, and most of the names um, in the Old Testament receive, uh, are received or are 
assigned to the children because of the experiences that they had during childbirth. Um, and so we're going to learn a little bit about them. The name Ruth actually means friendship, which I believe is fitting given uh, how although a Moabite, she becomes a friend of God as she chooses to make Naomi's God her God and therefore becomes a devout proselyte of Yahweh from having previously been a pagan worshiper of uh, the, the God of the Moabites, Chemosh. Uh, the events of this book take, take place during the time of the judges, and the author is believed to be Samuel, as Boaz, Obed, Jesse, and David are all referred to in the last portion of the last chapter, of chapter 4. Uh, but that is something that, that is thought. It, it's, um, it's a pretty well-informed conclusion. At the same time, it's not conclusive. So I just want to share some of these things with you because the authorship is not concluded. Moab came about through the incestuous relationship between Lot, that is Abraham's nephew, and Lot's oldest daughter. Uh, the Israelites faced, uh, were faced with many problems because of the Moabites, uh, including Balak. If you remember Balak, the king of Moab, through Balaam, 18 years of oppression during the time of the Judges, and then several other times throughout Judges 3, 1 Samuel chapter 14, 2 Kings chapter 3, and then Ezra 9. So they, they face many problems um, with, with the Moabites as far as the Israelites are concerned. The book of Ruth covers a period of about 11 plus years. If you do the math, if you go through and, and start figuring out uh, the chronology of it, you'll, you'll realize yourself that it's about 11 plus years that we're covering here in these four chapters. And it's sort of an appendix to the book of Judges because it's, it's found somewhere in there. Uh, some believe that it was under the leadership of one of the judges named Jair. And I believe that's in Judges chapter 10 is where he's mentioned. And he's just mentioned briefly. Um, we do see, though, and this is what's important, that within all of the moral decay that we went over through the book of Judges... There was another story within the book of Judges, and it is referred to as the book of Ruth, that which we have before us in the midst of everything that had been going on. We see this story in the midst of it, a story of redemption. What we have here is just that. In the midst of apostasy, moral deterioration, spiritual confusion, tragedy, and difficult times, the Lord is working and is willing to provide such blessings even if we cannot see anything but bitterness. And at one point, Naomi, uh, as they returned to Bethlehem from Moab, and they said, oh, they, they, they were all stirred in Bethlehem. You can just imagine after 11 plus years of being away, coming back. Of course, everyone was excited to see Naomi. And they call out Naomi. And she says, no, don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Because... I've experienced bitterness. But in the midst of it all, even though we cannot see anything beyond perhaps our circumstances, perhaps we also, like Naomi, can, cannot see pleasantness, but we, we can see bitterness. The Lord is doing a work. The Lord is doing a work. And it's in the midst of a world that is falling apart around us. 
a world that is in moral decay. This is always true, and it could be a mess and chaotic, but in the midst of it all, God is always working out His plan in the hearts and lives of many people who are open to Him. You see, He's always there, and He's always willing. He's faithful. But unless we turn to Him and we're open to Him and we receive Him, we won't, we won't know His faithfulness. We won't know His blessings. We, we won't know them because we reject Him. He offers, but we need to be able to, we need to get to the point to where we receive. We're open to the Lord and we trust in Him. So may we trust in Him. May we worship Him no matter what the circumstances are. We'll see a woman who endured and persevered through tragic experiences, not by resenting God, but acknowledging that he is still sovereign, good, and worth returning to. And in so doing, she led her daughter-in-law into the blessing of being part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Amazing. That is Moabitess that is now mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, verse 5, as one that was in the middle of the genealogy that led to Jesus Christ. That, that's a, that's what, how amazing is that? What a blessing. The book of Ruth gives us some insight of the way the Lord works in the midst of moral rottenness and tragic circumstances. Sometimes we can't see it, right? Perhaps most of you, if not all of you, have, have uh, experienced, experienced some, some extremely difficult moments in your life. But we need to understand that even in the midst of that, that the Lord is working. The Lord is working, and I, always, I know this to be true. He's working in your life just as much as he is in everyone else's around you in the midst of those circumstances. At least that's what he desires to do. What blessings await those who wait on the Lord by trusting in him and running to him instead of away from him when difficulties arise. And I've seen it all. I've seen those who cling to him and those who run away. Those who embrace him and those who, well... They blame him, and they're angry at him, instead of simply trusting in him. So Ruth 1, chapter 1. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. So we have this famine that's uh, taking place in in Judah, and this man from Bethlehem uh, took his wife and two sons, and instead of remaining there, what he did was he went across the Jordan, he went east and then south along, you could say, the eastern coast of the Dead Sea, and down into the land of Moab's, of, of Moab, not Moab's, but not that I have, I don't know why I pointed that. I have one ab. <laughs> Moab, you'll never forget Moab. <laughs> Moab. So he went down into Moab. Now, we don't know exactly when this famine occurred. What we do know is that this took place during the time of the judges, so that's, that's for sure. When these judges were sent, uh, this was during the time, and just a quick reminder of the time that God continued to send deliverers to Israel you know, during uh, the time of oppression. And... Uh, 
they had gotten themselves into those situations, and God continued to send them deliverers, and uh, we know them to be the judges that we went over previously. So it was during a famine in the time of the judges that a man from Bethlehem took his family, moved to Moab, which is far away from his home, and far away from the promised land, and was an area that was occupied by a pagan people who worshipped a pagan god and were in opposition to Israel. It's interesting how this man ran in the opposite direction of the place God had brought the Israelites into. But then again, let's consider the fact that this happened during the time of the judges. Remember in Judges 21-25, we concluded our study in the book of Judges by reading this, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It was a time of confusion, a time of chaos. Uh, everyone was doing whatever they wanted to. And so here was Abimelech, here was Naomi and their two sons. And you know what? The logical thing to do is just go ahead and let's go ahead and uh, take off, go to Moab and fend for ourselves. And they did. Kind of made me think of Jonah. Jonah was a man who ran in the opposite direction of where God had called him. Uh, He was told to go east to Nineveh. He went west to Tarshish. And he just happened to have caught a ship in Joppa. So he was going in the opposite direction. You know, it's kind of like we have this family here. God brought them into the promised land. Number one... um, They were there not by accident, not because they just stumbled upon Bethlehem, but because they were placed there by the Lord. They were given that land. And yet they went in the opposite direction. In fact, they went back and across the Jordan and down into Moab. Let's also remember that the Lord disciplined the Israelites many times throughout the time of the judges because of idolatry, moral decay, and overall rejection of God in, in so many different ways. So my question, as I'm thinking about the famine that occurred during this time, is could this have been part of a judgment that God had applied to Israel? And of course, we don't know for sure because we don't have it explicitly stated before us, but it could have been. Because we know that the Lord brought discipline to the Israelites during this time. And instead of running, they should have repented, but they didn't. And this man, his wife, and two sons moved to Moab. Verse 2. The name of the man was Elimelech. I think I kept saying Abimelech, but Elimelech. And the name of his wife, Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem and Judah. They went into the country of Moab. And remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died and she was left with her two sons. These took, these took Moabite wives. The name of the one was Orpah and the name of the other Ruth. They lived there about ten years and both Malon and Chilion died. So that the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. So now we have names. Elimelech, we have... Malon, Chilion, they were from the area of Bethlehem. So Bethlehem, you could say Bethlehem was a city. 
the, they were also considered Ephrathites, which was the area or the region. And then you have Judah, which is from the tribe of Judah in that area. So, names. The name Elimelech means God is king. God is king. But again, in those days, they had no king. God is king by name only, but not by practice, because he took his wife and two sons and moved far away. Instead of staying put and trusting in the Lord in Bethlehem, which, by the way, means house of bread. And yet there was a famine. And, uh, and, but they, they ran away. They went in the opposite direction. Naomi. Naomi. So we have uh, Elimelech, which is God is king. And now we have Naomi, his wife, which means pleasant. It's interesting because uh, Naomi means pleasant. And then Malon means sickly, poor health. Now, just me, thinking in Spanish, right? Uh, let's, let's think of uh, Melon, or if you look at how it's set up, the, the word malo, right? Malo? This is easy to, to remember, right? Malo, malon, está malon. <laughs> he's, he's sickly. He's, um, so, Melon means, means sickly. And then uh, Chilion means pining. Uh, mental or physical decline is what this means, pining. Um, and so if, if you look at these names, it's interesting because in ancient times, children were often, as I said earlier, named after the circumstances of their birth. So, um, for instance, Esau. Do you know what Esau means? Harry. Yeah, Harry. And what about Jacob? Heel catcher. So... Well, why is it that Jacob is called heel catcher? You guys remember? He grabbed the heel of Esau, yeah. And Esau came out and they're like, whoa, Sasquatch there. What is this? It's Harry. He's Harry. Let's call him Harry, Esau, of course. So they were, they were named after, you know, what they experienced during their childbirth. Now, we see here that things didn't really work out for Elimelech and his family. Not only did Elimelech die, but their two sons married Moabite pagan women, which is prohibited according to God's law. God had commanded the Israelites to not marry the women in any of the pagan nations that were surrounding them. So he said, you go in, you take over the land, but you do not intermarry with those of the nations, not surrounding it, not within it. And eventually the two sons died, leaving all three women childless widows in the land of Moab. Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. All of them now. They have no husbands. And these two Moabites had no children either. So they're left childless. They're they're widows, all three of them. Naomi was an Israelite, so she was a foreigner in in Moab. But her two daughters-in-law were in their native land. So we think about this as we continue on in this story. Verse 6 says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law. And they went on on the way to return to the land of Judah. So, you know, there was a time when her husbands and sons died that, she heard that the Lord had provided food once more 
for her people back in Judah. And so with that news, she thought, okay, you know what? I have nothing here. Um, my daughters-in-law are with me, but we're going to go ahead and make our way back to Judah. And they did. They started their way back to Bethlehem, back to Judah. And then in verse 8, it says, But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grants you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. There's a point where Naomi, she really was not thinking about herself, but she was thinking about but her two girls, her daughters-in-law. She paused for a moment, even though they were on their way. She said, no, you've got to go back. You've got to go back to, to your homes. And she gave them her blessing. Not only to return to their mother's homes, but also she gave her, her blessing to remarry. These women had been kind, had been faithful, had been loving and compassionate. They had remained with Naomi through her time of grieving the loss of her husband. And then she was with them as they grieved the loss of their husbands. And by the way, her sons. So two blessings that we see here. Number one, may the Lord deal kindly with you. You see, Naomi desired the best for these two daughters-in-law of hers. She loved them so much that, that she thought... Go back to your mother's homes. May the Lord deal kindly with you. That's what I desire above all else, that the Lord deal kindly with you, that he give you his favor, his, his anointing, his blessing, his covering, his protection, his provision. Rather than think of herself and the help she could receive with these two ladies at her side, Naomi wished they be blessed back at their homes and blessed by God. Because no doubt she could have, of course, benefited by these two women by her side. But she was on her own at this point. She was a widow. She would have to find different ways that she could provide for herself. And so now, no doubt she could have benefited. She could have taken full advantage, even though the thought came into her mind. She could have thought of herself and said nothing, but she didn't. And what she desired above all is that they would be dealt with kindly by the Lord. Secondly, she said, May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And not only were they free to marry, but Naomi desired for them to find rest in their marriage to another man. Yeah, to find rest in their marriages. A husband and wife should find rest in the context of marriage. If they don't, it's because they're not conducting themselves in the way the Lord designed them to do so, according to the, to the Word of God. I mean, just listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5, and I know we went over this a bit just here recently. But Ephesians chapter 5, beginning in verse 22, says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, however, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. A revival of our marriages would be known if husbands and wives understood and applied these biblical principles to their marriages, if both. It, it, doesn't, it cannot happen with one. It has to be both. Marriages ought to be a place of rest. When you're on your way home, you should be thinking, I can't wait to get home. Because when I get home, there's going to be, there's going to be rest. There's going to be a time of being refreshed. There's going to be a time to where I can just uh, feel relaxed. You know, just w- with, with each other, with husband and wife, that, that's what the home should be. should be a place of refuge. Marriage should be a source of rest. Peace, joy, and refreshment. Remember that the two become one. The two become one. So this is what Naomi desired for them. And she gave them her blessing. She said, may the Lord deal kindly with you. May the Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. And by their display of affection and shedding of tears, they demonstrated their love for one another. How beautiful. They, they cried with each other. They shed tears. They, they shared that moment. And so they, they had on full display this affection, which demonstrated their love for one another. In verse 10, And they said to, to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. For it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Orpah and Ruth were insisting that they go with Naomi at this point. But Naomi made her case and her reasoning for having them go back to their homes and remarry. Go go back to your homes, remarry. It was very clear exactly 
why it was that she wanted them, just go back to your homes. Just go back to your homes and, and you'll be well taken care of and you're going to remarry, have children and, and continue on. You see, the law commands that the brother of the deceased was to marry the widow and have children in his name so that his lineage would continue. So that was, that was the law. And so they were respecting that in a sense, going back with Naomi, which was awesome. You can already see the influence that Elimelech and Naomi had, not only on their sons, but now also on their daughters-in-law, which were agreeing to go back. And they even insisted, no, we're going to go back with you to Judah. And she said, hey, listen, not only am I not with child right now, but even, even if I were to be married this very evening and have a child, you're going to wait around. No, 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 no. Go back. Go back. There is no benefit. There is no benefit is what she was telling them, for them, at this point. As you return with me, there's no benefit for you. There's none whatsoever. If you, if you think, I, I'm too old. And she said, I'm too old. I'm, I'm not going to have children at all. So there's no benefit for you. Naomi said she felt the bitterness of their situation. And that she also felt that the Lord had been against her, perhaps, in discipline or judgment. But she felt that the Lord was, at this point, against her in that sense. But regardless, just know this. Remember in what direction she's moving. Away from Moab. This is what's beautiful. It's, the Lord is, is there and he's, he's just waiting. And Naomi's making her way back from Moab. Back across the Jordan and back into Bethlehem. So she is physically moving in the way that she has committed herself to, to go. She's devoted herself to... She's, made up her mind, I'm going back to Bethlehem. That's what we need to note. She was moving toward God, not away. By her actions, she was demonstrating a trust in God and knew that even though she was experiencing all of these calamities, that he is faithful and that he is worth trusting and running to instead of away from. There was something that touched the heart of one of these young girls. I know both of them, but, but definitely and especially in the heart of one of the girls that made a lasting impact. Verse 14, Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. So they wept once more. You could say that at this point, Orpah gave her mother-in-law a goodbye kiss and went her way. But Ruth just couldn't let go. Oh, what a, what a beautiful picture it is. Ruth just clung to her. No words. She just embraced her. She wasn't letting go. You could imagine, you know, that moment, because there had been such a relationship developed between them that she just couldn't. You see, they both expressed and said that they couldn't leave Naomi. And that they would both return with her. 
But when Naomi made it abundantly clear that there was nothing that she could give them, Orba, although she would miss Naomi, left and went back, but Ruth saw things differently. There was something about Naomi that Ruth saw and understood and articulated very well. In just a few moments, we're going to read exactly what she said after clinging to Naomi. But there's something that she saw, something she couldn't part with. Even though her mother was back in Moab, Ruth saw and understood something worth following was intertwined in the life of Naomi. Verse 15, and she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also. If anything but death parts from you, parts me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So Naomi, even though Ruth had clung to her, Naomi tried one more time, one more time uh, to persuade her to go back, to discourage her from going with her to Bethlehem. So she tried one more time. See, your sister-in-law, she's left. You know, go ahead and go follow her. Go. She said, not having it. She said exactly how she, what, what she felt and the commitment that she had made to Naomi. Ruth had, at this point, told her mother-in-law to stop telling her to go back. She said, stop telling me to stop. At this point, just... You don't need to tell me anymore because this is how I feel and this is the commitment that I'm making. I'm devoting myself uh, to just going with you wherever you go. Ruth was going no matter what. Ruth was going where Naomi went. She would live where Naomi decided to live. Her people were her people. Uh, Naomi's people were Ruth's people and Naomi's God would be Ruth's God. She said, your, your God is my God. And Ruth would live and die with Naomi. She said, wherever it is that you are, I'll I'll be buried there. And so we see that not only was this a personal commitment to stick by Naomi's side, which that in and of itself was was a beautiful picture of the, the relationship that they had built, but it was also a devotion to God that she would forsake the gods of Moab. She would forsake all. For the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. For the God of Naomi. Leave all behind. And of course, this forces the question. What did Ruth see in Naomi that caused her to choose to follow her? That would be something else if Naomi would have told her daughters-in-law, you know what? Go back. Go back to your homes May the Lord deal kindly with you. Go back to your homes. May you remarry and may you find rest in the home of your husband. And they both said, all right, I'm out. I'm released from uh, this responsibility. I'm done. Shed no tears. 
been done. It, it's they could have looked at the whole, the circumstances and my goodness, not only did your husband die, but your two sons died. We're left childless. We're widows here, and now, yeah, we'll gladly go back. And just no love demonstrated whatsoever. No affection shown. So, of course, you know, we need to ask, what, what, did, what did Ruth see in Naomi that caused her to choose to follow her, that she chose to follow her? Naomi didn't have a life of pleasure, riches, and perfection, so that wasn't a draw. She, her husband, and sons ran from famine to a foreign land, and they were in a foreign land. Remember, we started out the first verses that they were sojourning in Moab. That means that they were just kind of, they're just pilgrims. They were just coming through, kind of. You know, just, you know what, we're coming here for relief, but we're going back. And they spent over 11 years there. Well, part of it was with Elimelech. He died at that point uh, earlier, and then we know the sons also. But they were just coming through, but they spent a lot of time there. But they were in a foreign land. This is where they all died without anything to show for the time that they were in Moab. Perhaps they had something, but Naomi left it all behind to go back. So what did Ruth see? Perhaps it was a life of spiritual integrity and and trust toward the Lord that Ruth saw as Naomi said that regardless of the loss she had experienced, she was returning to her people, to her God. Remember, this is, the, this is the time of the judges. This is the time of chaos, moral decay. Everything seems so dark. Remember Gibeah and the Sodomites that were there. I mean, it was just, it's no, you know what? It's no different than what we are experiencing right now. I was thinking the other day... Um, I was up very early in the morning and I was just spending time with the Lord. And just what he brought to my attention was this. I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. Sheep among wolves. You know, if more Christians would would just think about that. He's not telling us to hold back. He's not telling you to, you know what, just go ahead and stay in the fold. Just go ahead and remain where it's safe. He's, he's never told us that. And he's, in fact, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Correct? He tells us to go into the world. You're, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. I send you out as sheep among wolves. And so... We know that even in the midst of a dark and perverse generation, that the Lord still does the same thing. He has still given us a command to go into the world and to shed light in a dark world. To share the gospel with everyone who is willing to listen, to receive, to have spiritual integrity, to not become like the world. We are to be set apart from the world because we are never going to convince someone of the gospel that we have come to know through compromise. Never. 
In fact, they'll just learn to compromise. If that's the kind of proselyte that you are making, proselytes that you're making, then they're just like you. They're at best carnal Christians. Carnal Christians. And we know what Paul wrote to the Corinthians about regarding carnal Christians. They're the ones that are in, they're just like the world. They're still taking in the milk when they should be teachers at some point and taking in the sustenance that's found in the deeper things of God. It's the same time, and this is a time when Ruth saw something to Naomi, and perhaps it was spiritual integrity. Perhaps it was a trust toward the Lord. I mean, she was going in that direction. She was forsaking all. She was telling them, thinking about them more than herself. She says, you guys go back to your homes. Go ahead and remarry. Uh, I'm, I'm going to go back to my land with my people. Charles Spurgeon said, quote, uh, You'll never win a soul to the, right of, to the right by a compromise with the wrong. It is decision for Christ and his truth that has the greatest power in the family and the greatest power in the world too. Close quote. Ruth had made a commitment to go where Naomi went, and nothing less than death was going to separate her from Naomi. So, before we go on, I, I want to ask this question to you. Ruth's response to Naomi. I'm wondering how many people would respond to us in the same manner. That someone would say of you and me, there's something I see about you, and I want that same thing. I want what you have. I want to follow where you go. I want your people to be my people. I want where, you're, where you dwell to be where I dwell. I, I want your God to be my God. I wonder how many of us people would, would follow along and, and say, I, I want that. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cling. I'm going to keep going. I'm going to keep going. And we need to think about those things. Are, are we those types of examples, representatives of Jesus Christ? Are we those types that are making such an impact with other people that, that they would say, I, I want what you have? I pray that we are. So, verse 18 and When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, um, she said no more. <laughs> so it was at this point that you know Naomi was basically saying, okay, Ruth, since you put it that way, let's go. And that was it. We were done. So they were on their way. 19 says, so the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So, Naomi and Ruth, after a long journey, finally get to Bethlehem. And, and it says here that the whole town was stirred up. Of course, they were excited. That's what that means. They were stirred up. They were excited. Naomi's back. And Naomi's back in with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. But she's not back with her husband, with her two sons, and with her other sons, 
<clears throat> wife. No grandchildren. Not really much at all. And so, of course, Naomi <clears throat> was not feeling like a celebration was appropriate. It wasn't fitting. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm back. But much has taken place. She's humbled. She's been brought low. When, when she came back, she was, she was humiliated at that point because she had lost everything. No, no husband. No nothing. And, and so that's the perspective in those days. And so her name, although her name meant pleasant, she was feeling bitter. Her time away from God's people and the Lord was a time of bitterness. It was not pleasant. But notice that she didn't say she was angry with the Lord or bitter toward Him, but that she had experienced bitterness. There's a big difference between feeling the bitterness of calamity and feeling bitter toward God. A huge difference. A huge difference. The Lord had indeed brought her back empty, but little did she know that she, as she drew near to God that He would draw near to her. Little did she know what, what was before her. But we need to always remember, even though we express our, our feelings at the time, yeah, you know what, I'm laid low right now. I am, I am in a place to where I am absolutely broken. Having many conversations with people throughout the week that are, that are laid low. Health-wise, they're not doing well. And it doesn't matter what age. I, I, see, I see them young. I see them old. From 98 years old, some 100 plus to very young. But there are some who are strong in their faith in the Lord. Who say, yeah, although I'm, I'm, not, I'm not feeling well. Of course, you know, there have been better days. But when I remind them of God's faithfulness, of, of His love for them, oh, they, they, they respond with, yes, amen. I need to hear that. I need to hear how it is that He's, he's my strength. As I find uh, my strength in, in the joy that I have with Him, the hope that I have in Him. You know, even though I'm experiencing bitterness, I'm not bitter toward Him. Although I'm experiencing all of these difficulties, I'm not angry with God because He's still faithful and He still loves me with an everlasting love. And as we see here, even when the Lord had brought Naomi back empty, she herself knew that she had everything in the Lord. Everything. And as she drew near to him, his word tells us that he'll draw near to us, and he drew near to her. So Naomi returned in Ruth, the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab. And they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. So that would be about April is when they returned uh, to Bethlehem. This is in the midst of uh, Naomi's trials and Ruth's commitment. God was working his plan out, and they would soon find out exactly what that was. And we'll continue on in, in the story of Ruth 
next week in chapter 2. But I want to conclude with this. May we be like Naomi for others to see the God we love and worship and be inclined to desire that he be their God as he is ours. May we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God because in due time, if we do not give up, we will know a lifting of our head by God. For he is the lifter of our heads. And when we humble ourselves before him, he'll, he'll lift us up in due time. But may we wait for him and on him. May we be encouraged as we see how God desires that we run toward him. And, and as we do, he will always run toward us. You see, as he has plans for us. We must simply trust and live with the faith that he does indeed have a plan and a purpose for our lives. May we be faithful toward him. May others see that to his glory. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this beautiful story. Just uh, This is the introduction to more that comes in by way of redemption, of um, a beautiful story of, of Lord, your, your hand of salvation and being extended. Our kinsman redeemer being coming many years from this point in Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, uh, I thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness. I thank you for the love that you show to us, even in the midst of our trials and difficult circumstances. Uh, Lord, there's something that you're working out. Lord, I I pray that we would simply uh, keep our eyes fixed on you, uh, trust in you, and cling to you, that wherever you take us, Lord, that is where we need to be. And so, Father... Uh, Fill us with your spirit. Help us to follow you with wisdom and discernment uh, in a manner in which is glorifying to you. Thank you, Lord, and we pray this all in Jesus' name.